This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. The real estate market, as hot as it was a few years ago, has cooled off significantly the last few months due to the rise in interest rates, obviously leading to a mortgage rate surge. Remember, the current rates on the 30-year fixed are almost double what we saw at the lows, what, about a year and a half ago. Now the term recession is being used to describe the housing sector, but is that the case? Pleasure to welcome in Fernando Ferreira, who is a professor of real estate as well as professor of business economics and public policy here at the Wharton School. Fernando, pleasure to have you with us today. Uh, hi, Dan. How are you? My pleasure to be here. Thank you. So uh, let me get your sense of whether or not the housing sector is in a recession. I mean, the latest data, not great. The existing home sales in July were down 6%. Uh, we know there are issues with new home sales and supply. What's your thoughts on how on the housing sector right now in general? I don't think it's in a recession yet. That's a bit of a strong word. Uh, housing market has a ton of problems, historical problems, recent problems. We can go over all of them, but I wouldn't call it a recession per se. Then it's kind of a twofold question then. What's the current state of the sector mean for both the sellers and for potential buyers at this point? Great. So let's start with prices. I mean, uh, in the average sales price in the United States right now of a house, of a typical home, is about half a million dollars. So uh, that's extremely high price, especially compared to, to pre-pandemic prices. That was around 350000 and you know that's good news for for you know landowners and and homeowners and it's bad news for prospective buyers uh so if you own your house right now you're probably pretty happy that the prices have been appreciating a lot and your equity increased um but if you are only if you're a young family you know with kids and you don't want to rent anymore and you're looking for a new place uh that's uh that's that's a tough price to swallow. Going back a couple of months, we had seen an uptick in the use of adjustable rate mortgages. That seemingly has cooled mm-hmm. off a little bit right now, hasn't it? Yes, but you know, and that's the second headwind in this market for 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 buyers. So they're first they're facing those high prices, and then uh, let's say that to buy that half million dollar home. They are. They needed to get a, a loan, a big loan, four hundred thousand dollar loan. And when interest rates were much lower, uh, around three uh, percent, huh? That's in the beginning of the pandemic. If you get this thirty-year fixed-rate loan at three percent, your monthly payment, more or less, would be around seventeen hundred dollars. Okay. Now, if uh, fast forward to today. Uh, two years later, or a few months ago, rates reached 6%. At 6%, that uh, same loan amount, 400000 same 30-year fixed rate, now the monthly payment is going to be $2,400 as opposed to seventeen. So that, that's a big increase in monthly payments, and, and that scared you know, prospective buyers. Uh, and, and at least recently, in the past two, three months, that was probably, you know, an additional reason for prospective buyers to stop and think, hmm, do I really need that half-million-dollar home? 
do I really have enough uh, cash, monthly cash, and monthly income to pay to face those mortgage payments? So, and when that happens, uh, you know, this combination of high prices and high mortgage rates, which means higher monthly payments, that probably means you 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 put a pause on transactions. Should we should we not be surprised then that it sounds like from some of the data out there that a, a lot more of the houses that are moving are at the higher end of the market and maybe that there is a little bit of a slowdown in the properties that are on the lower end of the spectrum? Uh, yes, and, and to, that's, that's probably correct. And, you know, with a lot of heterogeneity, right now the, the prices are so wacky that it's even difficult to think what's the low end of the spectrum. And let me give you the example of California, because for the country, the average price is half a million. For California, the average price is 800000 and if yeah. you go to certain uh, metro areas like San Francisco, you, you can't find a house for less than 1.5 million. So the low end of the spectrum in those in those places are really really expensive. You know, almost no one can afford to buy a, a house in those areas. So I think you know in San Francisco Bay Area the low end is still pretty good because it's still unaffordable. And the high end actually. But now in the Bay Area, we're talking about $10 million, $15 million. Uh, those prices yeah. are so unrealistic that they have to, to come down a little bit, but that's what affects only a very, very small fraction of the, the population. So then, in your uh, opinion, what needs to occur to kind of turn the market around again a little bit? And I think the expectation is that prices are going to slow down a little bit here. But the bigger story may be the supply issue. In the fact that you know, because of the the slowing economy, you maybe don't have as many uh, existing homes on the market. Obviously, home builders are concerned right now, still with a variety of different issues, and, and the the level of new properties on the market is not as, as as quick as it needs to be. What needs to turn? Do you think? Yeah, that's that's the the biggest elephant in the room, and it's been like that for for many years or decades in the United States. Um, lack of supply, and 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 lack of supply usually happens because of uh, NIMBYism, NIMBYism, not in my backyard. So uh, the uh, permits to develop a house or develop a multifamily building in the United States are uh, given at the local level, at the cities, and sometimes even at the neighborhood level. And there's been a, a trend, a long-term trend of not allowing any new construction, or at least not uh, any type of dense construction in, in, on both coasts and the majority of the, the big cities in the United States. So over time, that created this, this gigantic uh, difference between in, you know, demand and supply of homes. And to be honest, that's the main reason that we have these extremely high prices um, today. Especially well, and the, if we've the seen, desirable markets. Well, and if we've yeah. seen something that actually has probably increased at a at a moderate level, it, it's been the uh, the supply of uh, multifamily properties. Uh, you know, apartment complexes, new ones uh, going up, or townhome complexes going up. Those are the areas yeah, that seemingly. Uh-huh. Go ahead, Fernando. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. But is it still? It's still at a very moderate levels. Will the, we? I mean, ideally, 
you would have to increase supply double or triple supply. And, and, and that's called for because of, because of prices, because prices are incredibly high and there's incredible demand. And, right. you know, I always joke with my students, I mean, if you, if you think Manhattan is, is dense and, Manhattan, you know, New York City and Manhattan are the, you know, densest areas, neighborhoods and cities in the United States, but just visit, you know, other big cities in the globe, like Mexico City, Sao Paulo, Japan, uh, Tokyo in Japan, or Singapore or Hong Kong, uh, danced in those areas are three, four times denser than Manhattan, for yeah. example. And, and that's what those cities need. Those cities needed to completely transform themselves in order to reduce price from two, three, four million dollars a unit to something more manageable, like half a million dollars. Now, the rest of the country doesn't need it to, to turn into Singapore. But uh, what we need to do is to follow the good examples of certain places that we have here, such as cities such as Houston and Dallas and uh, Austin. Uh, all those cities had huge population growth over the past two, three decades. Dallas is, you know, is the metro area with the largest population growth since 2010. And there is one simple reason for that. They allowed a lot more construction, all types of construction, uh, you know, single family, horizontal condos, but also vertical condos and vertical multifamily buildings, you know, closer to, to, to more to the downtown areas. From a profit perspective for the builder, which is better for them, the multifamily property, building those or building the really nice single family homes? Uh, both. You know, it's a very segmented market. And by the way, another aspect of prices right now is uh, construction costs and materials increased during the pandemic, yeah. all the supply chain issues and, and lack of demand. So, uh, you know, there's a short-term bump in prices just because of increasing construction costs and labor costs. Uh, but bo bo both can be quite profitable. Uh, what is true is for for markets that are, you know, close to downtown areas, uh, land values are so expensive and, and land is in such a short supply that it makes, that only makes sense to build in skyscrapers in those areas. Yeah. So in downtown areas, skyscraper doesn't make any sense to build single family. But if you go to any other metro area where they're still growing, such as the ones in Texas or North Carolina or Tennessee, you still can get a, a lot of profit by selling single-family housing. Well, and, and I guess that's going to be the question as we move forward because of the impact of the pandemic and people working from home. And we, we anecdotally heard more people moving to other locations because they could, you know, maybe for quality of life, uh, uh, lower pricing, et cetera, of, of whether or not over the next several years we see growth in some of those smaller markets in terms of the amount of housing, numbers of people living there, because it looks like work from home is going to continue to be a, a significant component of, of what we have uh, for our uh, for our work expectations here. You are correct. There was a big shift, uh, both in terms of, you know, during the pandemic, and let's assume the pandemic is over, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, and, and, and a lot of people moved from smaller apartments to, you know, to bigger houses in the suburbs and more rural areas. It made a lot of sense back then. But I think the tide turned already, to be honest. 
When I talk to my students that I graduated uh, last year, both at undergraduate level and master's students, guess where they want to live? They want to live in, in Manhattan. They want to live in downtown Philadelphia. They want to live in downtown San Francisco. So all this new generation graduating like right now, and they're the majority of movers and renters, you know, you know, finishing school and choosing where to go, they they don't want to live in a suburb far away. So they want yeah. to enjoy the the consumption benefits of the city and the, all the social and professional interactions. So I think what happened in the past two and a half years is it, it's done and it's not going to change. But I think moving forward. We'll go back to the same pre-COVID trend of the young, high-skilled and professionals flocking to the cities again because they want to hang out with each other. And the expectation right now is that should we continue to see homes moving off the market in a pretty fast fashion? I mean, not as fast as maybe we saw a year or two years ago when you saw so many houses not even actually getting listed before they were, you know, had uh, somebody putting an offer in on it. But it, it seems like that the, the rate at which houses are moving is still quick, even though you have the lower supply. It will, you know, the, the lower supply means it's, it's pretty hard to find the house that you, you want. So if you're, you, you can't be too picky. In terms of, let's say, you know, a young couple with two kids thinking of an ideal three-bedroom house in the best possible school district, if a garage, maybe, it's pretty impossible to, to find a, that house available on the market right now. And, and if that young couple find that house, it's going to be extremely expensive. And then there's the issue of mortgage rates. It's going to be six, five, four, you know, how rates will change. So, um, you know, all, all families looking for a place, they, yeah, there's not enough supply. Uh, houses are still selling pretty fast. It cannot be too picky. So I don't think that scenario you change unless you have uh, the, the real recession, and not the housing recession, but, you know, things change in the market, and which there's always a chance, or the labor market really changes and firms start to fire people at much higher rates than they're doing right now. Now, to be honest, I, I don't expect a major recession, and even if there is a recession, it doesn't look like the labor market will suffer a lot because the labor market is so hot right now. So I think the the housing struggles will, will persist at least for the next few years, and to be honest, for the next five or ten years. And the reason is simple. Solving it requires a lot of new supply. And it takes a long, long time for supply to adjust, given all those um, supply chain issues, short-term problem, and long-term problem. It's pretty darn impossible to get permits to build where developers want to build and where uh, home buyers want to buy those those houses. Fernando, a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you very much for your time, and we will stay in touch as all of this develops. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Fernando Ferreira, professor of real estate as well as professor of business economics and public policy here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.